My name is Cal, and I'm one of the pastors on the team. It is an honor, an honor to speak at both campuses this weekend, and we're continuing the Christian Atheist, as you heard Lance say, kind of an oxymoronic statement, Christian Atheist. We're going to talk a little bit about that today in our second part of this. Last week, Pastor Paul opened it up with this whole thought of, I believe in the church, I believe in God, but I'm not sure I believe in the church. So you can listen to that message, just go online and get anything from that. But there was a uh, a survey that was taken that I want to kind of dive into a little bit deeper before we get into today's thought, because sometimes living in the Bay Area, how many, how many of you, not, I wasn't, I'm, I'm born and raised in South Carolina, and every now and then you can tell with the accent, you know, I'll, and even the slogans that I'll use, like every now and then I'll say, hey, cut the light off, have you ever heard that, instead of turn the light off, or I'm fixing to do something, you ever heard that before? So you'll hear a couple of those phrases, but how many of you were born and raised in the Bay Area? Right, raise your hand. Wow, quite a bit. How many of you are transplants to the Bay Area? So the born and raised have it. But, you know, if you've been here a while, I've been here three years now, and this survey is going to kind of not make sense because being in the Bay Area, you may not know this, but it is the most unchurched area in the United States, the Bay Area, the most unchurched in the United States. I'm from South Carolina. The town that I'm from, you can drive down the road, and literally in four miles, you can pass 10 churches. 10. Here, you, drive, you, you travel 40 miles, you might pass two, um, maybe. It is there. But yet, this survey was taken in America. So in America, three out of four people believe in God. Three out of four believe in God. So we're talking about Christian, what? Atheists. Just want to keep that number and keep that slogan in front of you. Seven out of ten in the same survey, seven out of ten believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So they don't just believe in God. They take it a little step further and believe that Jesus is actually the Son of God. It's a pretty high number who believe, wouldn't you say, in America. Because remember, we're in the Bay Area, so it kind of gets a little skewed. Of You don't see that many people around here that really believe in God, and we don't see that concept too often even in all the media that comes out here in, in the Bay Area. But I think we can all agree with that number, even it being high, across America, whether it's Bay Area or not across America, we've seen a pretty good rise of d- divisiveness and everything else come out in the last few years, probably in the last year especially. Um, but it's just kind of a boiling pot. But I would think that we can all agree that that number's high, even though most people believe in God, an awful lot of people are living like they don't. Would you agree with that? An awful lot of people are living like they don't. As a matter of fact, continue that survey a little bit more, and here's why we can tell. The church was established by Jesus. Now, pastor brought that out last week, and again, you can go back and hear that. But yet, those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, that are following Christ, that church is a big deal for us, now... That survey, that same survey was taken one out of every four Sundays is when the average Christ follower attends church. One out of every four. It's not every week any longer like it used to be. It's not even every other week. It's one out of every four. So I'm going to ask this question. And this is where we're going to kind of get personal. And this is one of those messages that you're going to kind of not be wowed. You're going to be owed. Okay? Like ow. So I'm just going to warn you that up front. Is that okay? It's not like, wow, it's like, ooh, that hurt. <laughs> so this is where it gets personal. And the question is, how about you? Where are you at here? 
Where, where, are you, where are you at? Did you, let, me ask it, let me ask it a little bit more. It's on your notes. Did you, did you pass the test this past week, in the last seven days? Did you pass the test? The pastor talked about that last week. I'm not going to ask for a survey of how many people were here last week because we're not going to get in the one and four thing, right? <laughs> did you pass the test? In other words, here's the test. Did you did you convince people throughout the week, not just on Sunday, because here it's easy. We're here. Smile. How are you? Did you convince people? Were, there was enough evidence in you throughout the week, Monday through Saturday, that you are a Christ follower. Did you pass the test? This is, this is how the Apostle Paul put it. It's in your notes, 2 Corinthians 13. Examine yourselves. Now, I know when I was in school... Um, the, the, the most fear words I could hear was the teacher walk in. How many of you are teachers or you're in education in the room here? Hey, can we give you, a, can we give these teachers a, a round of applause? Man, I just, phenomenal. But the most feared words I've ever heard as a student, teachers, is these words. Two words. What are they? Pop quiz. <laughs> Come on. I mean, like, I'm not ready for this. I never studied for a pop quiz. You, how do you study for a pop quiz? So here's what Jesus is saying. Pop quiz, examine yourselves. Right now, today, where you're sitting, examine yourselves. That's what he's saying. To see whether you are in the faith. Not whether you say you are, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, he goes on to say, unless, of course, you fail the test. So did you pass the test? I mean, even when you're alone on 880 in traffic. And somebody cut you off. Did you give them a Christian gesture or a worldly gesture? You know what I'm talking about. What happens when you're alone? Did you pass the test? Examine yourselves. How'd you do? Did you live like a true follower of Christ? Daily? Or did you live like an atheist? What is an atheist? What is a Christian atheist? Let me give it to you in your, in your notes one more time. Christian atheist is a person who believes in God, but lives, that's the key word, lives like he doesn't exist. It's not just a moment. Every, all of us have those moments. Come on. We have moments. That's life. It's called life. But you live like he doesn't exist. Now, I, I need to give a, another disclaimer. We said this last week, but I need to give it again this week. Maybe you're here this morning and you're on a journey of discovering who God is. And you haven't quite gotten there yet. You haven't quite said, oh, I, I can believe. But you're here, and you're on the journey. And I applaud you for being here. And, man, you have come to listen to the right message on this journey. All of us are on this journey spiritually. So I want you to say, I want to say to you, especially those of you who are just beginning that journey, and you, I don't want you to get offended because this is not a shot at atheists. We welcome you here to start that journey and find out who God is. Man, we really do. And if you need to ask some deeper questions, come find us as staff members and leaders. We, we really want to be here for that. So this is not a shot at atheists. God bless you, and let's go on that journey together. This is a shot at Christ followers. Come on, are you with me? Who call themselves Christ followers but don't live as such. And that's why this message is really challenging today. So I, I want to talk to you today about this idea that we believe in God but we don't know him. And I want to talk about deeper what that really means. We may come to church more than once a month. We might. We may even be part of a life group. 
what we call small groups around here that we sit in circles and people that we know and we discuss these types of things and concepts. We may even sing songs. We may even go as far as lifting our hands and while we sing those songs. You know, lifting your hands is not a sign of spirituality. It's a sign of surrender. That's the international word for surrender. That's why we do it around here. It says, hey, God, I just don't want to sing to you. I want to lift my hands to you because I surrender my heart to you. That's why we do that. That's what that act's all about. And maybe you do that, but you still don't know God. You know, I, I grew up in church. I, I was raised literally in a pew. Um, back before we did chairs, we did pews. Anybody remember those days? And I was, I was, I often said I was born on that pew. One of those pews I was born on them, but not really. Um, but I was always, I, I, you know, I say to people all the time when I talked about my, my childhood, I had a drug problem. You ever heard that? I had a drug problem. I, my parents drugged me to church every single week. <laughs> Whether I wanted to or not, they drugged me to church. And I was in church every week. I can't remember, never, and this was back when we didn't just have Sunday morning, we had Sunday morning service, come on, help me guys, Sunday night service, Wednesday night service, and then we had youth ministry, I was in all of it, and more, and we were at church working on stuff, my mom and dad were always involved, we were always involved, but I didn't know God, I was raised in church, I didn't have a clue who God really was in a relationship. I could tell you a lot. I was on Bible sword drill teams, and I could get to the books of the Bible. I could name them all. I could get to a chapter and verse quicker than anybody. I prided myself because I was a competitor, but I didn't have a relationship with God. I knew all about God. And I want to I show you a verse where there were some religious people who came up to Jesus, and they kind of ratted out his closest followers. We call them his disciples. And they ratted them out because they weren't, this was a conversation going on, they weren't doing something that their religious law said that you had to do. And it was like washing their hands. And well, these guys were fishermen. They didn't know what washing their hands were like. They'd gut fish and eat in the same hand. They didn't care. And so the, the religious people just had no idea what relationship was about. This was a conversation that they did and had with Jesus. And it's in your notes, Mark 7, verse 6. Uh, Jesus replied when they came up and said, your, your, your followers aren't washing your hands. Jesus said this, you hypocrites! Exclamation point. Anybody know what a hypocrite is? The word hypocrite that we get it from is the word actor. Like we have this mask that we just portray something that we're really not. You're, you are a hypocrite. Isaiah, Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament. There's even a book named after him. Isaiah was right. When he prophesied about you, for he wrote these words, these people honor me with their lips. Are you with me? They honor me with, his lip, with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I want you to underline the next phrase. Their worship is a farce. Their worship is a farce. They just teach man-made stuff. Man-made stuff. Their worship is a farce. You know what that means? It's not real. It's a phony. It's a fake. Now listen, guys. This was this. We're not talking about a worship like singing song. They didn't have songs to sing. There was no church. There was no institutional, systematic church service at eleven thirty every Sunday morning. They, they the worship to these people were the way they lived, and Jesus said the way you're living is a farce. You have the ability to talk the talk. In other words, what I grew up with, like. I was able to, maybe you've heard this before, I was good at speaking Christianese. You ever heard that before? 
I could speak the language, man. I could tell you, hey, brother, how are you? Blessed, how are you? Man, I am all Jesus needs me to be. That was kind of like a conversation. What did that mean? I don't know. I just knew how to talk the talk. Inside of me, I was lonely, depressed. I didn't like my life. I wasn't living in the way that Jesus wanted me to live. I was disobedient. I was going one way when my parents thought I was going another way, doing everything I could. But this, and what God said, I could talk the talk. I'm going to give you another example in my life just so that you can see what this was like. I mean, next year, my wife Tina and I will have been married for 40 years. Now, I brag about that as often as I can because I didn't think I could do anything for 40 years, okay? 40 years. Now, here's the amazing part about this. We've been together since the fourth grade. I mean, together. Like, we dated. Now, wait a minute. You don't date in elementary school. But we were together. That's where we met. You know, the, you remember the love letters, do you love me, yes or no, circle one? <laughs> Come on, you remember those? I did a lot of them because I was always wanting to know, do you love me, yes or no? So she would just put that, man, I'd get that circle back, and it was like, yes. And that was since the fourth grade. To this day, we've never kissed intimately anybody else. Or so I don't think. <laughs> I'm just keep that in my head. It's a good thought. No, we've never been with we've never been with anyone else. We've never dated anyone else. So, I was an athlete. I went to school in college on a on a baseball scholarship. Loved baseball. It's my favorite time of the year. We're in the middle of the World Series. Ugh, it's good. It's really good. It's been a good series. And so I played football and baseball. And when you're an athlete and you play those two sports as a quarterback and the catcher of the team and all that and you recognize around the state is pretty good. Those seasons run together. There is no off-season for that. So all I did was play ball and be with Tina, play ball and be with Tina. But then about my junior year in high school, between junior and senior, that summer, we were playing some ball and doing some things, and I started hanging out more with the jocks than I, you know what that means, the athletes, than I did with the people that were in church, Tina's crowd, our crowd, the crowd we grew up with. As a result of that, I would brag to these people. And I, I mean, they were doing stuff that I was like, way, way, it was way out of what I was, not, you know what I'm talking about. And I was hanging out with this because I was wanting to be cool, man. I wanted to be with that crowd and I wanted to be accepted and all the stuff that teenagers need going into my senior year of high school. And I thought I had Tina kind of wrapped around my finger and I would brag about that. Oh, I could do anything because they would always say, well, what if Tina finds out? What if, ah, she's not going to care that I can do anything. Because I believed in her. She believed in me, right? So one day I show up at the house, her house, one weekend. It's on a Sunday. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And I say, hey, are you ready? She goes, you know, we need to talk. And I said, what do we need to talk about? She goes, well, matter of fact, you just need to leave. Whoa, that, I mean, I'm, I'm just giving you a little bit of the cliff notes of this conversation that just took me for a loop. I said, what do I need to leave for? She goes, here's the deal. Until you get your heart right with Jesus, we're done. We're done. Why am I telling you this story? What does it have to do with this? Because I believed in this young girl. But I didn't know her. Because I didn't see that coming. Not at all. Does that make sense? I believed in her. But I didn't know her. I mean, today... We're married for 39 years, almost 40. We're about to celebrate that. And today, I know her intimately. 
I can walk into a room of this many people and hear her voice and pick it out just like that. I know things about her that she doesn't even know. I can tell her things. We can finish each other's thoughts. You ever been so close that you can do that? That's scary, actually. I mean, I know quirky things about her that if I were to tell you, I wouldn't be married another year, much less 40 years. Quirky things. I know that if I left my clothes out, you know, too long, that she turns into Satan, you know, that type thing. Like, I got to put him in the dirty clothes and all that. I know a lot about her. 40 years of marriage, and I'm still getting to know her intimately, and I want that to continue to be intimate. I want to know this woman. And here's the reality, friends. God wants to know you that way. He wants to know you that way. He has the same feeling for you. He wants to wrap his arms around you. That's why he spread the arms of his son wide open on a cross. To love you that much. To love you that much. Do you know why? Here's here's where we go back to our notes. Do Do you know why God created you? You know why God created us? He created us to have a relationship with him. He didn't create us to puppet us around on strings. He didn't create us to mess with your life. He He created you to have a relationship with you. The God of the universe who spoke light into being, spoke everything you see into being, out of his mouth, placed gifts into you, uniquely you, designed in you like no other person. And he wants to have a relationship with uniquely you like no other person. And yet there are times where we say, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to get into the word. Too busy to, to, to get on my knees or to get too busy to just chat with God. He wants to know you. He, he wants us to know him as well as he knows us. So for the remaining time we have today, I want to talk about three levels of knowing God. Three levels of believing him and knowing him. And our goal today is to get to this third level. And you might already be there. We're going to celebrate that. But it's to get to this third level. The goal is to move one step forward. Are you with me, guys? Number one, ready to write? Some people, this may be you. This may be right where you're living today. Some people believe in God. And this is the very title of the message today, but don't know him. Don't know him. And a lot of us, the reason I placed that in there is number one, because this is where a lot of us fall. That's why I told the story. I thought that I knew her. I believed in this girl, but I didn't know her. I didn't see that coming. If I knew her, man, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have been there. I would have seen that happen and prevented it. How can I believe, you might ask, in God without knowing him? Write this in your notes. It's not on the screen. It's not in your notes, but write it down. The the brother of Jesus shared this, and this is James chapter 2, verse 18. Just write that reference because I want you to read the whole thing and get the context. Here's how you can believe in God but not know him. Because James said in that scripture that I just gave you, even the demons of hell believe in God, and they shudder. At the very name of Jesus when it's mentioned. Even demons. What's the difference? They have no relationship with him. And God wants a relationship with you. A deep, intimate relationship 
with you. And it's like saying today, yeah, I'm a Christian because mom grew up Catholic. No, 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 no. Or I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian because I'm Southern Baptist. Or I'm a Christian because I'm Methodist. Or I'm a Christian because I go to church. Can I just say something to you? And this is going to sound funny, but I didn't mean it to be funny, even though you're going to laugh. Even coming to church doesn't make you any more Christian than going to Taco Bell makes you a taco. Are you with me? Thank God. Or going to Five Guys makes you a hamburger. And yet we still somehow think that if I can just go to church and sit and listen, that God's okay with that. Yes, he is okay with that, but there's so much more than just coming and sitting and listening and walking out. There's so much more. Matter of fact, the first letter that John wrote, one of the, the closest people to Jesus, he was called the beloved. And in your notes, in 1 John 2, 3 and 4 says something very direct about this thinking. It says, we know that we have come to know God. We know that we have come to know God if we keep his commands. If we keep his commands. So whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And there's no truth in him, in that person. And and, and the commands are so much deeper, like loving other people above yourself. Putting other people, like your neighbor, above yourself. Giving 10% of your income, which is called a tithe. Those are commands of God. And that's the types of things that we push back a lot of and say, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Then you don't know God very well. Are you with me, church? Because this is scripture. I'm not making this up. This is the very scripture. And Jesus said through the mouth of the disciple that loved him more than anybody, if, if you say that you know God and you don't do what he asks you to do, you're not truthful. You're talking the talk. And your worship is a farce. And guys, there's something that we have to be thinking about in that. That's a process. Whoa, wait a minute. Is that? Yes. This verse is saying this something very tragic. That you've got a head knowledge about God, but no heart in God. No relationship. There's no fruit in your life. No evidence in your life. No sense of obedience to do the things God's called us as a church to do and you as an individual to do. There should never be a need for people to serve at the church if we're obeying God and being Christ followers. There should never be a need for someone to stand on a platform and go, we need people to be greeters because we should have waiting lists. Are you with me, church? Because we should be doing the things that God has asked us to do and that's Living for others, not for ourselves. Francis Chan said it like this. He's a pastor of many, many years down in Simi Valley. He's written many books, and now he's in San Francisco doing a great ministry to the homeless. He wrote a book called Crazy Love, wrote many books, but in this book called Crazy Love, he wrote it like this. Makes you think. He said, the critical question for our generation is this. Now, let me just stop there and say this. Look at me for just a minute, because I've been in ministry for a long time, about 35 years. I've done Lots of, lots of funerals. Probably hundreds, if not thousands of funerals. And every time I do a funeral, whether that funeral is for someone who is a Christ follower or someone who wasn't, but just in part of a family of someone in our church, 
Every time without exception, someone in that family comes up to me and says, Pastor, almost grips me by the shirt. Pastor, Pastor, tell me that they're in a better place. Meaning what? Heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven. So Francis wrote this in this book so that we could understand a little bit deeper. This is a critical question. He says, if you could have heaven with no sickness, with all your friends, with all your food that you ever liked, that sounds good already, doesn't it? All the leisure activities you've ever enjoyed, all the natural beauties you've ever saw, all the physical pleasures you've ever had, no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Jesus was not there? Wow. Now that makes you think. Because that makes you think, what is it that we're really pursuing? All this stuff or Jesus? Man, I I have to stop and think, man, what is that like when I'm passing the test this week? Examining my heart. Am I pursuing the stuff or am I pursuing Jesus who's ahead of the stuff? Come on, church, are you with me? That's pretty powerful. So this is where I'm going to share right here because this is a part that Jesus is sharing. Maybe the most, uh, whoo, this could be the scariest verse in the New Testament. Let me just put it that way. The most direct, the toughest words that Jesus ever said in the New Testament. I'm not saying this as a fear tactic. I'm saying this more as a, guys, we need to pursue Jesus more than the stuff. So listen to what Jesus said. He said it very plainly in your notes, Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me. Lord, Lord, will enter heaven. Now, if we stopped right there, that would just say, what? What do you mean not everybody who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter heaven? Well, look what he says. Only those who actually, say it with me, do. Not who call, do. We've seen that somewhere before, haven't we? (laughs) Only those who do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, many, would you circle that word, many? Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed miracles in your name. We were in church in your name. We were in Sunday school in your name. It could go on and on. But I will reply, Jesus said, I never knew To me, those are the most tragic words for me to stand there in front of my Jesus, my Lord, whom I profess to know but didn't because I thought this meant that and it didn't. And he looked at me and said, I never knew you, but I believed in you, but I never knew. We never had a relationship here. I don't want to be at that door like I was at the door of my girlfriend my senior year of high school. And her look at me and say, you didn't know me well enough, so you need to leave. That hits me. This makes me examine myself. And quite honestly, some of us are right there today. If we're really honest with ourselves and examine ourselves. Because this is where I was growing up. I believed in God. I sang a lot of songs to him. I even said a lot of Bible verses to him. I even gave money. I even went on missions trips. But I didn't have a relationship with him. He didn't guide my every day. I did. I knew a lot about him. I just didn't know him. 
which takes me to number two. You ready? I believe in God. I know him, but I don't know him well. I don't know him well. In other words, I've had an experience with God, but I don't know him that well. Back a few years ago, remember I'm a ball player. So back a few years ago, 2011, I had the opportunity to sit down with one of the greatest baseball players of, of my generation. Probably the greatest hitter I've ever seen. His name is Josh Hamilton. He played for the Texas Rangers. In 2010, Josh Hamilton won the MVP. And he was at a retreat talking about how he went through drug and through rehab. He lost his family, but he found Jesus and he came back. He gained his family. Three years of rehab, he got back into baseball. Became the greatest baseball player of 2010. The MVP of all of the major leagues. He was at a retreat of a leadership retreat that I was at, and I had an opportunity to sit down with Josh for 45 minutes at that luncheon, just me and four other people at a table, and ask him a whole bunch of questions, and this was one of my heroes. So after I kind of put my chin back up into my mouth, and I could talk, and I could get over the enamoring that I'm with Josh Hamilton, I finally asked some questions, and it was a phenomenal 45 minutes, just a phenomenal 45 minutes. As, as a matter of fact, I, I, it was such a great experience that I've asked Josh to say something to us via video today. He's going to talk to us. Not really. <laughs> and some of you are like, oh, man, well, I want to hear you. I want to hear Josh Hamilton because you know who he is. I don't know him that well. <laughs> I know him, but I don't know him that well. Matter of fact, if you were to ask Josh right now, hey, do you remember Cal Woods? You had lunch with him in 2011, 45 minutes. He'll say, I don't even remember 2011, much less Cal Woods. I don't know him. We don't have a relationship, but I, I had a great experience with Josh Hamilton. See, many of us are there with God. Are you with me? You had a great experience, but you've stopped somewhere along the way. You've let life rob you of an intimate relationship with Jesus. Life has gotten busy. Some of you are sitting right here, and you haven't even opened your Bible or whatever it is, your device, in two or three days because life has gotten busy, hasn't it? And a lot of us are like me with Josh. You, you've, you know a lot about Jesus. You've been informed. You can write this down. You've been informed by Jesus, but you haven't been transformed by Jesus. Apostle Paul was talking to a group of people like this in Galatians. He said it like this. It's in your notes. Before you ever knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not exist. You know what those so-called gods are? Success, money, education. Come on, are you with me? You were slaves to those things. So now that you know God, or should I say God knows you, why do you want to go back to those things? Why do you keep wanting to go back into that place and become slaves once more to those useless spiritual principles of the world that they keep telling you if you have enough this, you're going to succeed. If you have enough this, you'll succeed. If you work at this many hours and if you work at this company, you've made it. Why do you keep going back because... I'm the person that brings all success, Jesus says. <laughs> That's in the Bible. All success comes from knowing Jesus. Why do you keep going back? Paul asked this question. See, unfortunately, some of us have just let too much life get in the way. I I'm guilty of that at times. 
Just pursuing. See, if you keep pursuing everything else but Jesus, you'll get it. (laughs) Because the world will pursue you at the same time. We're doing everything we can to succeed. Everything we can to succeed. Our kids are involved in everything they can get involved with so they can succeed. At the expense of their involvement in student ministry or in church life. They're involved in dance, and they're involved in sports, and they're involved in curricular educational activities, and they're going to get in this. And their involvement is at the expense of their involvement with the relationship with Jesus because we're not prioritizing that in our own lives and shadowing that down to our children. We've become slaves, Paul says, to busyness. We've become slaves, Paul says, to success. We've become slaves, especially now, to entertainment. He says, why do you keep going back there? So for many of us, write this down, God has become plan B. We fit him in when we can. And some of us are sitting right here today, and we can't think of the last time we fit him in outside of this moment we call church. Because we've let life get in the way. We believe in God. We're just real busy doing life, setting up for success. And if that doesn't work out, there's always God. (laughs) There's always God. So let's get real quickly because I need to get time here. Number three, third category because this is where we, this is our goal. Are you ready? Number three. I believe in God. I know him well. Matter of fact, I know him intimately and I serve him wholeheartedly. That's our goal. See, when you're at this goal, you begin to know what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit, not by your own desires. When you're you're at this goal, you begin to know what it means to walk by faith, not by sight or feeling, but by faith. When When you're at this level, you know what it means to wake up every morning and say, God, I want this day to bring you glory. It's not about me this very day. You wake up every day and say that. When you're at this level, you know his comfort. You know his peace that guards over your heart. When something terrible happens in your life, when a tragedy happens in your life, and you can't explain it and you don't understand it, but you know that comfort and peace that's beyond understanding when you're in this level. When you're at this level, his word is vital to you, and it, you can't get enough of it. You've got to have it. it it's, like, it's like chewing something and drinking something when you're starving or thirsting to death. And we're going to look at that as we close. When you're at this level, worship is not a church service. It's a lifestyle. It's what you do all the time. You wake up singing to God. You go to bed singing to God. And you've got a song in your heart all the time. It's a new song. Because you're at this level of intimately knowing God. And you're serving him wholeheartedly. David gives us this imagery. It's in Psalm 63 in your notes. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search you for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and I've gazed upon your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you 
I praise you as long as I live. Here he is lifting up hands to you in prayer. And this was written long before we knew what church services was all about. There was no such thing as church services. This was David's life. This is a reflection of a man who didn't have his act together, but also the reflection of a man whom God called a man after my own heart. Because David knew I need to know him intimately. I need to serve him wholeheartedly. So let me give you the last insight today that might help you as we close. What you call God determines how well you know him. I'm an athlete, so I'm really, really kind of naturally drawn to athletes, and you hear him up there, so I just want to thank the man upstairs. That's creepy. <laughs> and so I know through that statement that that person, whomever it might be, does not have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Am I making sense? What you call God determines how well you know him. How you address God is an indicator of how well and how intimate you are with God. David wrote it like this in Psalm 9:10. Those who know your name trust in you. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. So here's the final question. As the worship team comes out, here's the final question. What are you calling? Who do you call him? What is his name to you? I know that when people address me as Mr. Woods, there's not a deep relationship there. When people say, hey, Cal, there might be a better relationship or they read my name tag. <laughs> but there's a few people that call me daddy. That's what Jesus called him. Abba, which means Daddy God, Daddy Father. What do you call him? How do you address Jesus? How do you address him when you're all alone and sometimes everything's going great or sometimes it's not? Would you close your eyes with me all across this place? I just want to give you that opportunity to pray with you and just ask you, intimately with every eye closed if you know today that you you need to get one step closer in your relationship to jesus I, maybe you're just here on a journey you haven't even started it but you said i i need to get that step i need to i need to know jesus i want to know him today if you need to know him well and intimate if you need to take one step today you're just one prayer away from being one step closer to jesus right now if that's you all eyes closed, no one looking around, I want you to raise your hand real high. Say, Cal, that's me. I need to take one step closer to Jesus today. I need to start. I need to get there. I need to get intimate with him. I'm not there. Just raise your hand. All, hands going up all over this place. It's just, just as you and Jesus right now. But I just want to get you to respond because there's something in this response that does something in your soul that says yes. Okay, you can put your hands down. Father God, thank you. Thank you for speaking to us today about how much you love us and how much you want to know us and have a relationship with us. In Jesus' name, amen.